to be a, a real meaningful answer to the problem. But do those who deny God have a better answer to the problem of evil and suffering? As I've stated before, when asked the question, their silence is often deafening. Second, when a person addresses the question of evil, they assume a reference point, a moral law that defines evil, and logically, a moral law giver. But that is what they're trying to disprove. If there is no moral law giver, then there is no moral law. If there is no moral law, then there is no good. If there is no good, then there is no evil. So I guess I'm asking, what is your question? I hope that helped your friend, Jeff. Just kidding. I'll try to answer the question anyway. Ah, we have a lot of fun going back and forth with this discussion. Excuse me one second, let me get this. Here's the, here, here's, let me start off by saying this, and this is the discussion between my friend Anne-Marie, who lives in New, in New Jersey in the Northeast, and myself. We've been, uh, we were friends in youth group, and she was one of the people who actually helped lead me to Christ. Um, she said from the very beginning, her, her time at youth group was more social. Um, for me, when I started going to church, it wasn't social at all. I was focused on trying to answer some of those questions in my own heart. I came from a, a different background, um, and my desire was to find out who was God. It was For me, it was going, like going from darkness into light. So let me start out by answering her question. You know, the Bible gives a great deal of attention to this, to this idea, to this topic of suffering. It's not hidden. It's not dismissed. The Bible's not skirting around the issue. In the Old Testament, there are questions about suffering all over, especially in the books of Jeremiah and Habakkuk and Job. We see this referenced over and over and over. They have a lot to say about the subject. Almost one-third, one-third of the Psalms are cries that come from despair or pain or doubt. So as you read through the Psalms, you'll see that. So the Bible gives, it addresses this topic of suffering. When we come to the New Testament, however, there's a different different feel. They don't seem to have the same questions as you find in the Old Testament. Something has drastically changed. Something, the questions have not been eliminated, but there's a a, a peace. There's a confidence. There's a joy. There's a hope that we don't find before. And even, we've, even in, during the greatest time of suffering, there is this confidence that, that the suffering cannot overwhelm. So in the New Testament, instead of being overwhelmed, there's, there, like I said, there's this confidence in hope, even in the midst of our suffering. Something has dramatically changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And the answer is clear. In the New Testament, God has a face. He makes himself known through the person of Jesus Christ. There's a difference. There's a difference. Now, first, to build my framework, we need to talk about freedom and love. As I lay out this this discussion about how could a loving God allow suffering and evil, the, the first thing I'd like to do is lay out a framework to talk about love and freedom. Love and freedom. Christians believe that we exist in the context of, of a loving God, that we are exist in a relationship with a loving God and with others, with other people. However, love cannot exist if there's no freedom to choose. You cannot really have a loving relationship unless you and I have the ability to choose. 
If you want someone to love you, you just, don't, you just don't force them to love you. It's not one of those things, well, I want you to love me, so I'm going to force you to do it. You love me or else. Sometimes we wish it maybe worked that way, but all of us understand that it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. In creating us, God loved us so much that he gave us the ability to refuse that love, to choose otherwise, to reject that love. The problem is that we have taken this freedom and we've distorted it. We've taken this gift of free will and we've distorted it. And instead of focusing our attention on God, we focus our attention on other things. We choose other things. We choose alternatives to God. In Isaiah chapter 53, in verse 6, it says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We are not only free to walk away from God, but we're also free to stay away. That's our choice. As human beings, as free human beings, given us that, that ability by God, we are free to choose to walk away from God if that is our desire. Because that's the only way that you can have true love. Many of the things that, that you struggle with, even here this morning, that Anne struggles with, Many of those things that we struggle with when it comes to Christianity are brought about by people's own choices, what we choose to do, what you and I choose to do. Sometimes we get so frustrated with God when the reality is those are our choices. Suffering was not God's choice. It was ours. It was not God's choice. It was ours. Second, the freedom to choose also leads us to another problem, the, free, the, 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 the problem of evil. When Anne asks the question, it's actually a twofold question. You have the problem of suffering, but you also have the problem of evil. And what I'd like you guys to do right now, if you would with me, I want you to think about this. I want you to put your thinking caps on. I want you to think, what is the cause, who is the cause for most of the suffering on this earth? Who's the cause of most of the suffering that you experience on this earth? For example, who is the cause of the suffering in World War I or World War II or all the wars since World War II? Who is, the, who, who, who is responsible for the genocide in Rwanda where 800,000 to a million people are killed in 100 days? Who's responsible for that genocide? Who's responsible for what's going on in Darfur right now? Who's responsible for those things? Who is responsible for the ecological destruction of our planet? Now, I'm not talking about global warming, so don't, don't get off track with me. Everybody's like, wait a second, I don't believe in global warming. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the polluting of our oceans. I'm talking about the stripping of our forests. Who's responsible for those things, for the ecological destruction of our planet? Who is responsible for your past pain? The pain that you went through in the past, the suffering that you've experienced in the past, who is responsible for that suffering? Who is responsible for mo most of your suffering now, your present suffering, what you're going through right now in your own life? Who's responsible for those things? Now, I would submit to you that it, all the suffering in the world is not caused by humans, by man, by us. I'll admit that. But the majority, majority of it is. The majority of the suffering on this planet is caused by people. It's caused by us. It is our responsibility. You know, I, I, I used to get stumbled by this question, but now I really love when people ask me this question. They would say, well, if there's a loving God, then how could children be starving in Africa? 
And they look at you with their finger out. They kind of, they, they think they got you. If there's a loving God, then how could there be starving children in Africa? I, honestly, when I was about 19 or 20, that, that kind of stumped me. And then I went to college and I did a research paper on, on, on global, you know, the, the, the problem of starvation globally. And I realized something very quickly. I realized that the United States and Canada could feed every starving person in the world every single day, no problem. So then the question becomes, why are there starving children in Africa? And the question becomes, uh, from, from my perspective, what I say to people is, be very careful at your tone of voice when you ask that question, because that will probably be the first question that God asks you when you stand before him in heaven. Why are there starving children in Africa? When, when, when we can easily feed everyone on the planet, not just in Africa and Asia and everywhere else, why are there starving children? Economics and politics, simple as that. Economics and politics, that is why. Even when we send food to those places, you have warlords and others who get, gather up all the food and sell it on the black market to other people so the people who are starving don't get the food. So before you ask some of those questions, you think, well, if there's a loving God, you start, start tracing back. Where does where it trace back? Follow the money, my friends. Follow the money. And you'll answer your own questions sometimes. So it's, you know, when, when you ask those questions, it's really economics and politics. It is our choice. It is the choice of human beings. Most of the suffering in the world, including starvation, is our choice. The Bible teaches us that we are free and responsible beings. And with that freedom, we choose evil over good. We choose selfishness over love. We choose willfulness over God. We choose those things over God. We make those choices. You and I make those choices, and then we want to blame God for the consequences of our choices. You go down the line, how could that happen in Rwanda? I can't, but well, well, when the whole UN and the rest of the world turns a blind eye to it, knowing it's going on, and doesn't want to do anything about it until it's over and go in there and cry over all the dead people, they knew what was going on. Why didn't anyone stop it? How could God allow? He allowed you the freedom of choice. He allowed you the freedom to love, the freedom to choose. We make those choices, and then we want to blame God for the consequences. The Bible emphasizes very strongly the connection, the connection, the link between suffering and evil. We live in a fallen world, and we are a fallen and corrupt race. We are capable, my friends, of some amazing things, good things. We as human beings are, are capable of some of the most, creating some of the most beautiful and doing some of the most incredible things. I mean, think about what we do as a church, just the things that we do. But, but given time, over a period of time, it seems that most of the things that we touch, we spoil. We inflict suffering and pain on others. Our choices cause other people to be in pain and to have difficulty. You know, we may often feel, you know, you sit back and you feel morally superior to someone else. But the reality is that we are all a part of the problem. I can look every single one of you right in the face and say, you know why we have evil, evil and suffering? Not why we have suffering on this earth? Because I am a part of the problem. You are a part of the problem. We like to, we like to think it's everyone else. You know, it makes us feel better to think, you know, those people, those people are causing all the suffering. 
But we need not look further than our own hands and hearts to see why there's difficulty and suffering on this earth. And if we're honest with each other, in our own homes, in our, in our communities, and in, in our workplace, at school, you know, people suffer in school. I bet you if I said, raise your hand if you were tormented in junior high or high school. I bet you half the hands or more than 80% of the, the hands would go up that you at some point were, were ridiculed or teased or something in school. And that has a profound effect on your life now. And who brought about that, that, that suffering in your life during junior high and high school? Those around you. The suffering came from those around you. People ask, well, why doesn't God just wipe out? He, he should just wipe out all the evil and suffering. By now, even in this sermon, I think you can answer that question for yourself. You could probably answer the question for yourself. Why doesn't God just wipe out all this evil and suffering? To end suffering, he would have to eliminate the cause of suffering. So you say, why doesn't he just wipe it all? He can, God can do anything. He just wipe it all out. Just do away with everything. What, what would happen, how, how many people we left in the church if God just wiped out evil and suffering? He would have to get rid of you and me. In order for God to eliminate evil and suffering in the world, we would have to go. We would be gone. It's for that reason that God, listen, that God has not yet intervened and done away with evil and suffering. It is for that reason that he has not put an end to suffering, suffering once and for all. The Bible is clear that, that that day will come, but the time has not yet come for God to intervene and do away with it all. But he is going to. The Bible is clear about that. God has a specific plan. The Bible is clear about that. But now is not that time. That time has not yet come. In his grace, in his mercy, in his love, in his patience, God gives us, you and I, an opportunity to change and to turn to him. He's giving us that opportunity. It is because of this inseparable link between suffering and evil that God does not deal with one without, without taking care of the other. He can't deal with one without taking care of the other. So that time has not yet come. But we as, we as believers in Christ know that day is coming when suffering will be eliminated, when all evil will be eliminated. Just a quick side note. I know that there are, there are things in this world, that there's suffering in this world that is not caused by human beings. I totally acknowledge that. But you have to remember, we live in a fallen creation. Not just when, when, when creation fell, it wasn't just man that fell, it was also all of creation. So we have, this, we have this problem, all of creation is fallen, and the corruption leaves us with a world of disease and defects and catastrophes and deterioration. Now, I, I, I can't go into all the detail and all the, the explanation of that and how it all works out this morning. I just wanted to point that out to acknowledge the fact, because I know some people are thinking right now, well, that answers the question of most of the suffering, but not all the suffering. And we can discuss this in further detail, the other part of suffering, on Wednesday mornings and Wednesday nights. This coming Wednesday morning and Wednesday night. We can go into this, this subject in greater detail and hit on some of those topics and maybe some of the other questions that you have have around the idea of evil and suffering. 
But I wanted to point that out because I don't want anybody sitting here saying, oh, see, you're skirting the issue. I'm not skirting the issue. I understand there are tornadoes. I understand there are hurricanes and tsunamis. I understand all of that. I have a biblical explanation for those things. And we'll discuss that on Wednesday morning or Wednesday night. Now, if you don't believe in God, it's hard for you to understand that. But for me, I can have a peace in my heart. I can have a peace in my heart knowing God is just, that we have a just God, that God is just and has already acted to deal with the problem of evil and suffering, regardless of its origin through Jesus Christ. God has already acted to deal with that. We have a just God, and God already knows he will act upon these things, whether whether it comes from man or otherwise, and he'll do that through Jesus Christ. I can have peace in my heart. Is it difficult for me to watch suffering? Absolutely. Do I question things? Do I sometimes say, God, I don't understand. Why? Why is this person who is so righteous and such a good person, why are they suffering? And this person over here could care less about anyway. Why are they not suffering? I have, I have those questions. We all have questions. The Bible's filled with those questions. How can, the, how can those who are innocent get this? And how are those who are guilty get this, Lord God? How does that? We all have those questions. We all have those questions, but at the end of the day, I know a God who is just, and I know a God who has a plan, and I know a God who is, is working out that plan even now through Jesus Christ. In doing, in doing so, as he works his plan out through Christ, in doing so, it, he has ultimately guaranteed the removal of suffering. Richard Halverson, former chaplain to the U.S. Senate says this, he was the great physician, and in the finest tradition of medical science, he was unwilling to remain preoccupied with the symptoms when he could destroy the disease. Jesus Christ was unwilling to settle for anything less than elimination of the cause of all evil in history. God chose to make himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. God chose to make himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. That is God's response. And on the subject of suffering, if we think about Christ, Jesus Christ on the subject of suffering was born in a manger surrounded by animals. You know the story. He spent his early years in a foreign country. That was very difficult for people to be able to spend their, their early, early years of your life outside of your, of your own country. He, he grew up with no recognition. He grew up with, with no privilege. He was a carpenter. His father was a carpenter, so he was a carpenter. He was poor. And as he, as his, as he, as his, as he grew and, his, and he went into ministry, he didn't have the same conveniences that I have being in ministry. He had hardship. Jesus Christ, when he went into his full-time ministry, had real hardship in his ministry. It wasn't like it is today when you can, I live in a nice house and I have, I have things that surround me that make it my, my life easier to minister to people. He didn't have those things. He didn't have the comforts that we enjoy. Throughout his ministry, he was accused of being a deceiver and a heretic and a drunkard. He was accused of, 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 of being demon-possessed. They attacked him, and they ridiculed him for caring about prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. 
Every time he turned around, they were picking up stones to stone him. He was chased from here to there. This was not easy. He understood what it meant to suffer. And then those who were closest to him, first, he was abandoned. He was abandoned by those who were closest to him. Then he was brutally flogged, beaten, and then nailed to a wooden cross. Jesus Christ understands what it means to suffer. He understands what it means to go through that suffering. In Isaiah 53, in verse 3, it says, He was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Jesus Christ was familiar with suffering. He lived a life of suffering. He was God. He could have sat on some throne and pretty much snapped his fingers and dictated everything, but he came to serve. And in that service... He was a suffering servant. My point is this. If the, if the Bible is true, and it is, that Jesus is God, that's what the Bible teaches, then our God is familiar with suffering. Our creator is familiar with suffering. God himself comes to earth and goes through all of this. He understands our suffering. He knows what we are going through. Yet the physical and, and emotional and mental suffering that, that I just described to you is insignificant to the suffering that he went through when he was on the cross. In 1 John 2.2, it says that Christ carried the burden of our sins. That is hard for us to intellectually grasp. That our God, that Jesus Christ, took on the burden of our sins. Not only was he crucified, the physical crucifixion was in, it does not compare to what he went through spiritually and emotionally. I, I can't even really describe it in human terms. My finite mind cannot grasp the suffering that Jesus Christ went through when he took on the sins of the entire human race, past, present, and future, died on a cross so that we then would have the freedom to have a relationship with God. He took those things on in some, in some remarkable way. In some remarkable way, when Jesus hung on the cross, he took upon himself the consequences of the evil of humanity. He took those things upon himself. If, if you can just step back and try to see this from an eternal perspective, the question begins to take shape. If you, can, if you can step outside of your temporal mindset, if you can step outside of the, and, and try to take on an eternal mindset, try to understand it from an eternal perspective, the answer really begins, really begins to take shape. Our God who gave us the freedom to choose, the God who in the beginning gave us the freedom to choose now takes upon himself the consequences of our wrong choices. So the God who gives us the ability to choose now takes upon himself the consequences of my wrong choices, of your wrong choices, of humanity's wrong choices. People say, well, God, God knows everything. Why did, didn't God see this? Yeah, God did. Yeah, he did. And he had a plan. He responded. And he responded 
through sending his son Jesus Christ into the world and take on the consequences of our choices. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, it says, For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus Christ suffered at the point of our greatest need. He suffered at the point of our greatest need, and that for him meant the greatest possible suffering. He took it upon himself. When we begin to understand it and see it from that eternal perspective, that question begins to, begins to come into focus. The problem of reconciling human suffering with the existence of God is only without solution if we don't truly understand the meaning of love. I can reconcile in my heart, I can reconcile in my rational thought, my, it's reasonable to me, human suffering and the existence of a loving God when we truly understand the meaning of love. For Christians, a true understanding of love begins, it begins at Jesus' death on the cross. That's where it begins for Christians. You know, in his book, Why Do People Suffer? James Jones tells the story of a school collapse that kills all of the teachers and most of the students. One of the students is in critical condition. He's, he's badly injured and he's rushed to the hospital. And a, and, and a team of doctors and nurses and medical people come around this child and they, and they operate and they're operating on him for hours. A team of doctors and nurses for hours while his mother waits anxiously outside of the operating room. After seven hours of surgery, the little boy dies. They gave all they could, but he died. Now, instead of letting someone else go out to the mother, the grieving mother, and tell her the horrible news of the loss of her son, the doctor himself, the surgeon, chooses to go out and tell the mother. And as he explains and begins to explain his horrible news, the mother, who is overcome, overwhelmed by grief and frustration and anger in her, in her just her agony, attacks the doctor and starts beating on his chest pounding on his chest out of frustration and anger. And instead of pushing her away, he pulls her to himself until, until her overwhelming grief subsides. And she, and, she, and she just falls in his arms. And as, she, and as she's in his arms, the doctor himself begins to weep. His emotions can't hold him back any longer, and he, and, and he begins to, to weep as well with this mother. Tears are streaming down his face because his own grief becomes overwhelming. What no one knew, what no one knew was that, that he had come from the hospital. He had gone to the hospital right after finding out that his only son was killed in the same school tragedy. His only son was lost, and he knew that right before coming to the hospital. And so as he embraced that mother, as he, as he held that mother, his own emotions, the, his own grief overwhelmed him, and they wept together through their suffering. Now, you may feel angry with God sometimes about what goes on, but God, our God, has not dismissed himself from suffering. He is not some cosmic 
spirit out there who watches all the suffering from a distance and has no concern about those that he loves. Our God enters into our suffering. He is not an outside observer of our suffering, but a participant with us in our suffering. John 3.16, John 3.16 reminds us, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He entered into our suffering. The Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, put it this way, there cannot be a God of love, people say, because if there was, and he looked upon the world, his heart would break. The church points to the cross and says, it did break. It did break. My understanding and attitude as it relates to suffering is seen in the context of Jesus' death on a cross. That is the context from which I understand the suffering of this world. That gives me a context for understanding why there's suffering in the world. And as believers in Jesus Christ, I know it's difficult to answer these questions as people ask, but it's also important to ask, like I asked, asked early on, if, if you don't believe in God, if you have no God, if there is no God, what then is your answer to evil and suffering? What is your solution to the problem? It's okay to ask questions, but you should also have a solution to your own worldview. Evil and suffering are ultimately conquered through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Evil and suffering are ultimately conquered through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is an exclamation point on the subject. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was saying exclamation point on death and evil and suffering. Those things, I will do away with those things. See, what I'm trying to point out here is that the answer to the problem of suffering is not a concept, it is a person. The answer to the problem of suffering is a person. See, when, when, when you raise the question of suffering, you raise it in the context of someone, God. Why does God do this? And why doesn't God do that? And why can't God do this? And why doesn't God wipe this out? And why doesn't you answer it in the context of someone, not something, not some concept, not some idea, not some philosophical thought process. You and I, when we ask the question, when our friends ask the question, they ask the question in the context of someone, not something. We are created in the image of God and we cannot get away from it. We ask the question in the context of someone. Why does God? Why doesn't God? We don't ask the question in a void. We ask the question in a relationship. We ask the question in relationship. God's answer was not just to give us words of explanation, but to give us a person, Jesus Christ. God's answer was to give of himself. He gave his son, Jesus Christ. When I suffer, let, you know, let's break it down here, okay? When I suffer, I need relationship. Do you? I mean, think about this. When you suffer, you need relationship. 
I need relationship. When I'm going through something difficult, I want to call someone. I want to reach out to someone. I need relationship. In the context of suffering, every single person on this planet needs relationship. I truly believe that that's at the heart of the question itself. When someone asks you the question, that is at the heart of the question. The Bible responds and says, weep with those who weep. Enter into the other person's suffering. Be there for them. Love them through it. Carry them through it. We need that relationship. The Bible says that we should enter into each other's pain. All the intellectual answers I can give you, I can give you pale in comparison to divine or even human compassion. All the intellectual answers I could give you this morning still pale in comparison to divine or human compassion or comfort. People are not asking the question in a void. They're not asking it because they have a philosophical discussion they'd like to bring up. They're asking it because of relationship. They're asking it because of relationship. Even even if I could give you an answer for why you lost your child, for example, if I could tell you all the good things that came out of that loss, it would not eliminate your suffering. If I told you why your child died, and I, and I could lay out all, the, all that happened because of that loss, ultimately, you'll find peace. Ultimately, you'll find joy in God. Ultimately, you'll find the contentment. Ultimately, God will heal you, but it will not eliminate all of your suffering. It will not eliminate all of your pain. The mind, the mind cannot totally reconcile what the heart can experience. Our, our, our minds cannot totally reconcile what the heart, what our hearts can experience. The discussion around suffering and evil is not brought up in the context of something. It's brought up in the context of someone. God's response, God's answer to evil and suffering is a person, Jesus Christ. Now, I know that I have basically touched on, just touched on this topic. There's so much more that we can discuss, but we can't get into it all this morning. I know I've only touched on it, but if you have other questions, we actually have set up a a Facebook page for Grace Chapel. You can ask some of your questions on there. We're not going to get into debate on that page, but you can ask questions, and we will try to answer those questions on Wednesday mornings or Wednesday nights, or if you have that, you throw that question out and you can't get to it, maybe you can give me a call or you can give someone else, one of the elders a call or one of the other staff people and try to talk through your question with them. We want to answer those questions. Because again, I, I honestly am saying that we've only scratched the surface of this, of this question. I sent, this, I sent my response, what you, just, what you just heard is my response to Anne-Marie. And I'm sure that she'll have a lot of questions for me in response to what I wrote to her. And I'm sure you will as well. Next week, we're going to, we're going to change up the conversation a little bit. We're going we're gonna to add a little twist to the conversation. It'll be a little different. We want to really keep it uh, interesting in here. So next week, we're going to add a little twist to the conversation. 
as we go through this, and you will not want to miss it. And I'll tell you something else. You will not want to miss the opportunity to invite people who may have some of these questions, who've been asking you questions, and you've been afraid to answer the questions for so long. What a great opportunity for you to encourage them to come and be a part of this experience, this series. Let's make sure we do that. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for this time that we can spend together. And God, I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to to be here, Lord God, as a pastor of this church and to go through these difficult questions. These are difficult questions. But Lord God, as believers, we do have answers. Even in our finite minds, we can understand. God, there are some things that we may never understand. It goes beyond our finite minds. But we trust you. We do have faith in you. But not faith that rests on some blind leap in the dark, but a faith that is confident and sure in the one that we worship. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.